My Year of Bad Sex, written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 15. Furkan and I met on Grinder and were soon into filthy talk and dick pics. Don't judge me, doesn't make me a bad person. He was Turkish in his late twenties and had a face that was sweetly naive, including a dramatic, almost comic moustache that might have been attached with spirit gum onto a juvenile actor for a regional production of something Dickensian. He also had huge brown eyes that gave his physiognomy a demeanour both innocent and potentially naughty, willingly corruptible. Furkan worked just two minutes from my flat and he was desperate to meet, so he could serve daddy, as he put it. I was keen too, so I suggested we meet at the tube, and given that he wanted to serve me, instructed him to approach me and say, Hello, Daddy. Please can I suck your dick? It didn't seem unreasonable to me. Yes, that's how far my social norms had shifted, to the point where that was a perfectly reasonable greeting to expect. In fact, he said he couldn't do as Daddy wanted, as he was a lecturer, and there might be some of his students in the area. Ah, right, OK. So I gave him permission not to be quite so explicit. Hi, I'm Furkan would do just as well. Even that sounded horny. Frankly, any sentence containing his name had filth potential. As I crossed the road and saw him standing in the weak winter sunshine next to the scarves and phone covers stand, my first thought was, Wow, so much better looking than your photos. I walked directly towards him until he noticed my trajectory. As I got close, I extended my hand for our formal greeting. As he shook it, and turned those extraordinary orbs on me, two chocolate discs that seemed to hint at cocoa, chestnut and mahogany, exotic flavours and textures still to be savoured, he leaned in and whispered, Hello, Daddy. Please can I suck your dick? Fucking hell. Turkish delight indeed. I went soft and hard at the same time melting like warm ice cream, but stiffening like one of those thin balloons being inflated, the ones that children's entertainers twist into the shape of a dog. Yes, just like that. Yes, my boy, I whispered back. Of course you can. Can Daddy fuck you? His mouth didn't need to speak. His eyes were oozing compliance. On the short walk to my place, I touched him a couple of times, but he bridled and was clearly uncomfortable. I apologised. Once inside my flat, though, he was all over me. I offered him a glass of wine, but he panted, Later, after, so desperate was he to get cracking. And so we did. As I've got older, and perhaps lived in properties with better soundproofing, I've got more vocal during sex. Nothing extreme, not at decibels that would trigger earplugs, but these days I can't be doing with silent humping. If even a phone call to British Gas generates a text asking for feedback on Kaylee's skills in taking my credit card payment, it's surely not unreasonable to hope for a word or two of encouragement during fornication, such as, that's great, harder, or even, not the nipples, sir, something, anything. Pleasure is good, and mock pain is fine too. Ooh, that massive thing will destroy me is sexy until there's genuine fear in the eyes. That's when I backpedal with tenderness and compassion. You know the old joke, a married straight couple are having a rare night of sex. When he realises he can't come and asks her for some really dirty talk, she sighs and mutters, Ooh, look at the dust on top of that wardrobe. Well, Furkan needed no encouragement. He was vocal and unrestrained in his moans and growls and cries of, Yeah, and Jesus! 
He could hardly control himself during the massage. I had to exert a certain control to satisfy my own somewhat lax moral code that any sex would take place only after a full hour's ethical procedure. We were soon into phase two, on the bed, beyond ethical boundaries, and he was one very hot Turk. His daddy-son behaviour was extreme. Every sentence ended or started the same way. Yes, daddy, or no, daddy, or daddy, may I kiss you? In theory, he was a submissive lad, and I was the dad in charge. That's not how it felt. He was actually controlling proceedings in his crafty, passive-assertive way. Do you want me to suck you now, Daddy? Daddy, is it time for me to turn onto my back? I wonder, Daddy, if you'd like to rim me. Yes, yes, and yes. But the choices and timing weren't mine. At one point I praised his fine cock. No, you don't have to do that, Daddy. I just want to worship yours. Ah. Okie dokie. Feel free. So, a tiny bit weird, but he was a sexy young man who knew exactly what he wanted, and what he wanted was also precisely what I wanted. I'd never had such explicit and persistent father-son role-play, and I found I was fine with it, even if it did feel a little as if he'd been sponsored a pound for every time he used the D word. Hot and hung and horny. A lot of kissing and sucking and rimming and fucking, and he looked cute and was eager to engage in plenty of dirty talk perfect? Pretty much. He was even a fine nipple-biter. Most guys are shy of chewing too hard, but Furkan was happy to chomp away to inflict the exact balance of pleasure and pain. I fucked him hard and deep, and he moaned loudly and whimpered convincingly. And I didn't care if the neighbours heard. We had the wine post rather than pre-sex. As soon as we sat on the sofa, he transformed from boy to man— we had discussions about morals, medical research, childhood trauma, anxiety, inherited disease, and psychological theories of human development. He was so much the medical professional, no hint of the needy child now. It was three hours from arrival to departure, and all of it was huge fun. Over five days, the naked party, Ted, Clyde, Rishi, and Furkan. Next day, the naked yoga class seemed very tame. Then I had a day off. No sex. But the day after that, I contacted Willie. I know, perfect moniker for a hookup. Maybe it was even his real name. He'd let me down once before, but he was an attractive man and I didn't want him to slip away. He looked tall, slim, and slightly bashful in his football gear, legs open and relaxed, lolling back in one seat with his right arm extended over the adjacent one. Me, he seemed to be saying. Sexy. Really? Yes, Willie, you, sexy, very sexy, really. He said he was available. He and his boyfriend had recently completed a massage course, and so we agreed to a forehand massage for that evening. I would have invited Angelo to join us, but he was abroad. A couple of minutes after Willie and I arranged our liaison, I had a text from Nigel. Forehands with Angelo, a few weeks earlier, big cock, decent guy, asking if I was free. No, I said. I'd just committed to doing a massage with someone and his friend. At 7.30, as agreed, I went to the tube station to meet Willie. There he was, tall and slim and bashful. And with him was his boyfriend, who turned out to be... Nigel. Why hadn't either of them said? Why the great mystery? Were they checking up on me? Or on each other? Nigel was weird. He wouldn't shut up. Willie was sweet, and the opposite. He hardly spoke. His body was lovely, big and natural, not pumped, furry in just the right way. And his cock was glorious, huge and thick and long and heavy. 
This was the meat stretching those white swimming trunks. Massive balls, too, such a bonus, and a real turn-on for me. Balls tend to get neglected because penis size takes all the glory, but for me, a hefty pair of bollocks makes all the difference. The two veg complement the meat, and if they're low-hanging fruit, I'm agog with anticipation. First, the two of them massaged me, shoulders, legs, and bum, then onto my back for chest and legs and arms. Weird Nigel indulged in a lot of stupid nonsense, pretending that one of them had left the room, but ooh, which one? Who cared? Then he took a small light and moved it across my face, asking me to imagine I was lying on a beach and the sun was passing overhead. Oh, do shut up, Nigel, I was almost screaming aloud. Just suck my dick. But I restrained myself because I'm so well brought up. Nigel and I then massaged Willie. He was restless and several times needed to sit up and drink water, then go for a pee. After his back and front, he asked for more work on his back. He had a sublime fuzzy butt and I whispered to Nigel, is it okay to put my face in there? He nodded, and so I ventured in, gently. Willie quivered visibly and groaned. We were off. Everything shifted up a gear from erotically sensual to blatantly sexual. I don't need to record every tongue and touch, but the abbreviated version is that we were soon on the bed, sucking and stroking and kissing. Well, Willie and I kissed a lot, but the other permutations didn't happen. Me and Nigel, or Nigel and Willie odd since they were boyfriends. A few times Nigel said we should save something for when Angelo can join us. I agreed. I tried. But Willie wanted me to put just the end of my cock inside him. Well, really, I mean, just the end? Oh, come on. I fucked him. Of course I did. And Nigel found it very horny to watch. At one point we took a break so Willie could go for a pee. He muttered something to Nigel, who said, No, I don't want you to. What? I asked. Piss on him, Willie said very, very quietly. Oh, well, well, I'm okay with that, I said. You can piss on me. Really? Did I say that? It was a new one on me, but why not? So... I squatted in the bath and Willie stood over me, tall and beautiful and less bashful now, and released his stream over me. I loved it. Nigel loved watching it. And I can only assume that Willie loved it too in his own enigmatic way. He watered my chest and shoulders and it was bizarrely graceful and satisfying. Not debauched or immoral, but like bathing in his refreshing rain. Not my face and certainly not my mouth. But it was novel, it was exciting, and I thought, maybe I'll have more of that at some point. This, apparently, was the new me. Before we began to fuck again, after the pee break, I said to Willie, You weren't worried about my status? He said, No, and added, I'm undetectable. I had an instant frisson of alarm. So he was HIV positive, and I'd been topping him without a condom. But undetectable means untransmissible. I'd learned that much in my new identity of sexually active man. But why hadn't I asked, checked beforehand? How had I become so careless? At one point, Nigel, weird as ever, wanted us all to engage in a role-play in which we had to imagine he wasn't there, and he shrank into the corner. So I began with, Where's your boyfriend tonight? to Willie. But he stayed silent as usual. And then he grabbed Nigel's cock to eat it, not playing along at all with the improv. Oh, well, I tried. In a while, Nigel, watching us at it, said, Jonty, dump your load in his hole. 
which I found incredibly horny. I was in a porn movie with the leading role. Look at me! Bloody hell, this was all really happening. When they left, I got really tight hugs from both Nigel and Willie. What a night! With the extra prospect of Angelo joining us for a square dance next time. More jolly fun to follow in due course. That was Thursday. On Friday, I didn't have sex at all. No, not with anyone. But I made up for it with two guys on Saturday. Not another three-way. First Joseph, and then Naveen. Joseph and I had been chatting away in audio rather than with texts for a few days. He was a young, mixed-race chap in his early twenties, with a round, appealing face and innocent eyes, but he seemed more than shy. He was apologetic. He was sorry about his voice, his body, his job, his postcode. Sorry seemed to be the easiest word for Joseph. Such low self-esteem. But he was sweet, so I was keen to meet him. He was impressed with where I worked and expressed an interest in visiting the building, so that's what we arranged for the following Saturday morning. Unlike Furkan, Joseph was less attractive than his pictures, as indeed he'd warned me he would be, but his shyness and self-effacing diffidence gave him a real charm. I gave him good value on a tour of the broadcasting studios, and then bought him lunch at a favourite café nearby. We talked easily. Well, I did. Getting his story was harder, as he was not only modest, but reluctant to give me much personal information. I was paddling hard, but he was coasting. The little I did learn about him made me realise his issues were debilitating. Finally, I offered to find him the names of a few therapists in his area who were experienced in the issue of social anxiety and lack of confidence. He thanked me for the gesture. I felt more like a schoolteacher than a date. Then came the decision of what next. I said we could go somewhere else for a sticky bun, but then upped the stakes by suggesting we could buy some and take them back to my place nearby. Joseph agreed. At my flat we had cups of tea and chatted a lot more until, during a conversational lull, I asked what he'd like to do next. He passed it straight back to me. What would you like to do? I said, I'd like to give you a hug and a kiss, Joseph, and take you into the bedroom. We did all of those things. I led him by the hand. We cuddled and kissed. Clothes came off. Shoes and socks and jeans and boxers. My shirt, but not his. I hate my chest, he said. There were so many sentences that began with those first three words, as well as voice, job, and so on. He now added various body parts to the list. Feet, chin, eyes, bum, hair. The baseball cap, reversed, stayed on the whole time. But chest was the clincher. I hate it. Really, really hate it. I couldn't imagine what aspect of a thorax could engender such antipathy. Joseph explored my body below the waist and expressed a kind of shocked wonder. First, he paid me compliments on my size. I was getting used to these comments late in life, but I don't experience it as any sort of achievement. Some are big, some are small, some are neither. But then he said, Oh, oh, wow, Jonty, you've got a... You've got a... a foreskin. Um, yes. I've never seen one before. I mean, in real life, not in porn. Uh, right. But how... can I ask you, how... how does it actually work? It seemed that, as a young Muslim lad short of sexual action, Joseph had a limited awareness of cock. He said he'd never actually had one in his mouth before. 
and had certainly never had a man's tongue between his buttocks. Well, it was only fair that I added to his worldly sophistication. I never did see his chest. Much as I cajoled and joked with him, he was adamant. No, I really hate it. I played a game, putting my hand over my eyes while I lifted his sweatshirt to lick his nipples blindly. I forget who came, who didn't. There were more important, more delicate issues to be addressed. When he left, I felt he'd had a good enough experience. He'd seen a real-life foreskin, for goodness sake. At the door, Joseph asked, Do you think we'll see each other again? I said, I hope so. But we didn't. I did a bit of research, and the following day I sent him a list of four therapists in his area who worked with LGBT clients offering low-cost sessions. A couple of days after that I sent a follow-up email asking whether he had received the list. I had no reply. Naveen, trainee doctor, North London, grudging admiration for Theresa May? Yes, that's the one. Naveen had also been in touch with some messages about us meeting again. The last time had been frustrating and flaky, and I'd got the tube home when no invitation had been forthcoming after our drink. Now he was wondering whether we could meet up in Soho, or not. If he had the energy, or not. Finally, we settled on a rendezvous at a pub near him in Hampstead, so I took the tube there. It was nice enough to see him again, but the conversation didn't flow. I was struggling to keep the ball in the air, but he made little effort. It wasn't that he was deficient in small talk, he had no middle-sized or big talk either. Did he care what I thought, where I'd been, who I was? He genuinely didn't appear to be interested in me. Was it shyness, arrogance, or something else? It felt the height of rudeness. I mean, I wasn't sure if I fancied him or not, but I still saw it as my social duty to inquire about his family, childhood, education, career, hopes, dreams, fears. I probably added books, films, and favourite golden girl to keep the conversation flowing. Naveen only became animated as before when the subject of Brexit came up, and not in a good way. He was a lever. I had three G&Ts to steady my temper and to stay in sync with him. At chucking out time there was the usual awkward discussion on the pavement of how we wanted the evening to progress. I didn't want a repeat of last time, receiving a disappointed text on the tube, you didn't come back to mine, so I pressed for clarity. Yes, he was inviting me back, although he was again downbeat about how small and inadequate his place was. The walk there was as awkward as the earlier chat, but in a mobile way. I even found myself feigning fascination in the architecture of buildings we passed, mundane buildings that had nothing noteworthy about them. Ooh, look at that window! And that's an interesting door! Finally we arrived at his room. It was a tiny bedsit in a block for medical staff. A single bed. Nowhere to put clothes other than on top of piles of books and shoes and cereal packets and other clothes. We hugged. We kissed. Some clothes came off. Shoes, jackets, sweatshirts... We lay on the bed and kissed some more. I got up and took all my clothes off. The awkwardness continued, and we didn't even have the subject of Brexit to fall back on. I lay on top of him and did things. Just things. A lick here, a touch there. Nothing felt sexy. It was all mechanical. Yes, just like a mechanic trying to get an engine started. I sucked his smallish, softish cock. He turned and seemed, from the way he positioned himself, to be wanting me to fuck him. Nothing was said. I got up and went to my coat, 
thrown over a pile of books. <laughs> that coat had a pocket on the sleeve, and I always used to think of it as the condom pocket, the dirty stop-out pocket. I was once patted down for drugs on entry to the legendary club XXL. When the security guard found that pocket bulging, he demanded to know what was in there. Oh, that's my emergency Lapsang Sushong tea bags, I answered honestly. Go on in, he said. He didn't actually speak the word grandad out loud, but his eyes said it anyway. On this occasion there were condoms and a sachet of lube in there. I got back onto the bed. Still no words were exchanged. I attempted entry, but that wasn't going to happen. Now there was a new level of self-consciousness and discomfort. I tried some words of encouragement, but Naveen was silent and non-explicit in his physicality. Finally, when I had also run out of ideas and enthusiasm, he said, I'm really tired. Do you want me to go? I said. He obviously did. I dressed, disconcerted and remorseful. I was reminded of pulling Katie Watkins knickers down in our outside toilet when I was four, making her cry and run away. Had I pressured Naveen into anything? Did he want any of that to happen? Had I misjudged the mood entirely? I didn't think so, but I'd never had such a neutered, naked romp. Even now, as I pulled on my trousers and picked up my jacket, he made no attempt to alleviate the tension. We had the briefest of hugs, and I let myself out. I wandered about until I found a bus stop and waited, and I waited, and finally a night bus arrived and it took me back to somewhere close enough to home. Then the walk of shame. I felt like a naughty teenager. What a very odd week. But it wasn't over yet. The following day I met up with Angelo for a drink. Well, I had a drink, he'd already had one beer, his usual limit, and didn't want another. We went to a naff gay pub in Soho and chatted about his recent holiday and birthday, his 25th. I touched him a lot as we sat close on stools. I no longer felt shy of doing that. He didn't seem to mind, but nor did he reciprocate. It seemed that was our dynamic. I touched him, he allowed himself to be touched. We moved to another pub for another drink, for me, and to look at men we might fancy. He was still fishing for a third party to join us. I told him about my wild evening with Weird Nigel and Sexy Willie. I showed him a picture of Willie on my phone, and Angelo liked him too. I explained that Nigel had said we should keep something back for when Angelo can join us. Oh, and? And I agreed. And what then, Mr. Jonty? I avoided his eyes. Did you stop? No. No, Angelo, I... I fucked him. Sorry. It's okay. We had a talk about it that seemed to acknowledge our closeness and the agreement that we had no right to ask each other not to hook up with other men. I told him I was jealous when he and Jan were kissing so much. But you were doing other things. Only because I couldn't get a look in, a lick in, on their passionate mouths. Nothing is going to change in our relationship, he said. I still don't know what he meant. Was it to reassure me that our mutual affection was certain, or that I would never quite win him over? He came back to my flat, and quickly we were on the sofa, naked and yet matter-of-fact, non-sexual. He said he had his hair clippers with him, and he wanted me to help him with parts of his bum and thighs that he hadn't been able to reach himself. How could I refuse? He stood in the bath and bent over, spreading his cheeks so I could gain access, and I buzzed around his hairy butt. As well as decidedly odd, it felt sweet. Natural, 
relaxed and trusting. Of course, it was also sexy. We both got aroused and moved into the bedroom. We kissed, we sucked. So gorgeous, so beautiful. I thought, what a wonderful boyfriend he'd make, will make, one day, for someone. Someone else, not me. He doesn't love me and doesn't want me to love him. Then, to my surprise and delight, Angelo asked if I'd like to fuck him. Would I? I'd like nothing more. But as part of the preamble to the manoeuvre, I sucked his resplendent monster, and Angelo being Angelo, came into my mouth. How thrilling to experience that again after, well, I don't remember how long. Such an intimate thing to do for someone. And yet it was meant to be the antipasti, not the main course. He fell asleep, and I gazed at his peaceful features for a few minutes until he stirred and muttered, Oh, Mr. Jonty, I should leave. I thought you'd stay the night, I said. Apparently not. But the tube had closed, so I drove him home. That made me happy too, just being around him, this attractive but self-contained young man, spending an extra half-hour in his company. He didn't invite me in. I didn't expect him to. Unrequited love with one flirty Italian and multiple unsatisfactory encounters with a variety of inappropriate lads. This wasn't exactly the pinnacle of achievement I'd envisaged when I set out to reclaim my sex life. Could do better, my report would say. Or could do more. Over the next seven days, there would be another seven men to add to the list. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. The music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a protocol production.